and you want to spend a great time and you don't, you don't know where to go, right here, November 28th at 10 a.m., we're having the turkey bowl. So I want to invite Pastor Greg that is going to uh, allow God to reveal himself today with us. Thanks, Isaiah. Good morning, everybody. Glad to be with you. And um, we are going to be continuing our uh, time in the book of Acts. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be really circling around between Acts 13 to 21. Uh, but let me start off with, um, uh, these are not my slides, Chris. You want to take a minute and look those, see if you can find the ones that I sent. Those are the ones from the previous sermon. First slide is Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. All right, so I will continue on, slideless, uh, until we get that sorted out. Um, but let me start by opening up with this verse, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 and 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward to their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. So two are better Two are better than one, says the preacher uh, in Ecclesiastes, for they have a good reward uh, for their toil. And so in this series, what we're doing is we're drilling into our discipleship process to answer questions over the next couple of years of what Living Faith uh, Alliance Church, the family of churches, is going to focus on uh, in order for us to, to be formed as Jesus-centered disciples uh, that are partnering with the Holy Spirit uh, in the creation of kingdom-minded communities. And so this week, what we're going to drill into is in that area of Go Reveal Jesus that we talk about living on mission. And the way that we're going to talk about living on mission is through strategic partnerships, all right, through strategic partnerships. And so throughout history, strategic partnerships have demonstrated what the preacher said in Ecclesiastes, that two are better than one. For example, Paul McCartney, John Lennon, they were diametrically different in personalities, different in skill set, yet they collaborated as artists. They knew how to complement uh, one another well. John Lennon once said that he knew the minute he met Paul McCartney that he realized that Paul was a much better musician and performer. But he also knew that while he was a bit intimidated by Paul's talents, he knew that bringing Paul into the band would make him a better musician. All right, so all you Beatles fans uh, are happy that he made that kind of decision. So in a healthy partnership, two people or two organizations, they come together to build off one another to create something amazing. Let me give you another story. William and James, they were immigrants. They were both entrepreneurs. Uh, this is in the late 1800s. Uh, William was a candle maker. James was a soap maker, and they both lived in Ohio. Eventually, the two men married a pair of sisters, the Norris sisters, and their father-in-law, Alexander Norris, noticed that both men competed for the same material in order to make their products. So, all good, as all good father-in-laws would do, he encouraged the men to work together uh, to form a single company to get a better return for their effort. 
uh, and then to work together. So ultimately, making more money, which would support his daughters and grandchildren. So the two men listened to the wise counsel of their father-in-law, and William Proctor and James Gamble, uh, James Gamble established what we know today as Proctor and Gamble. Uh, it was established in the 1800s. It is now worth about $230 billion. Then there's a story of uh, Bill and Dave. In the 1930s, both men were studying engineering at Stanford. Both men loved electronics, but beyond that, they shared an avid passion for the outdoors. After graduation, the two friends took a two-week camping and fishing vacation. Uh, the bond that the two friends forged lasted past graduation, past their earlier career days, and eventually the friend found, they, they found wives and made their way back to Palo Alto, California, which we now would call the Silicon Valley, where they took the advice of some Stanford professors and started their own company in a small garage. With just over $500 in capital, their wives were their first employees. Bill and Dave flipped a coin to come up with the name of their company. Well, Bill Hewlett won, uh, and Dave Packard, uh, and they launched a temp te tech company uh, called Hewlett Packard. Um, and so when I think of strategic partnerships, uh, here's, my, here's my working definition, all right? My working definition of strategic partnerships is this. Identify a need and an opportunity. Right? There's an identified need, something's, something's broken, and that point of brokenness also creates an opportunity. The second thing is that you can work together towards a common goal in a strategic partnership. Third, you lean into each other's strengths in order to accomplish that goal. Right? And so partnerships, partnerships have been God's design from the very beginning. Right? I mean, it, it, we, we get... Early on in the book of Genesis, what do we find out? The first thing that God declares is not good, he says it's not good that man should be alone. There was, a, there was a partnership that was needed that was part of God's design. God reveals himself as a triune God, a God that lives in the community of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Right. So from the very beginning, partnerships... Right, have been part of God's plan, God's purposes. And I love when biblical principles are on display in the world around us. And often I'll read books from people that aren't necessarily Jesus followers, and they will talk about you know, just the, 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 the beauty of strategic partnerships and how effective they are. I'm like, yeah, well, God had that idea right there in the beginning of, of Genesis. And we would call that general revelation, right, where you would get to see the, the beauty of God on display. Listen to some of these, uh, some of these uh, various leaders that talk about partnerships. Henry Ford said, coming together is a beginning, staying together is progress, working together is success. Helen Keller said, alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. Michael Jordan said, talent wins games, but teamwork and intelligence wins championships. Mother Teresa said, none of us, including me, ever do great things, but we can all do small things with great love, and together we can do something wonderful. So from businessmen to, to artists to athletes to missionaries, strategic partnerships are essential for long-term impact. There's this African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. 
This year, my wife and I celebrated 20 years of marriage, 20-year partnership. And, and I'll be honest, like, as I look over 20 years, like, I could, uh, it has allowed me to be so much more than I could have been on my own. When we look at the first century, there was this amazing enterprise, actually, I would say the greatest enterprise of the first century. <laughs> nervous putting in my password to all these people watching. <laughs> Isai is great. That's the password. <laughs> um, so the greatest enterprise of the, of the first century. Chris, I would say for now, we'll just push it to the second service. Thank you. Um, was how a little movement of 11 Jesus followers... Right, that was localized in this little rebellious corner of the world, literally, literally worked and kept working until the whole of the ancient world was changed by the gospel of Jesus. And often we will say that that is a result of the great missionary effort of the apostle Paul, and in part that would be right. But, but when we think that way, we're reading the New Testament through the lens of our own American ideals of autonomy and independence and, you know, uh, John Wayne uh, on his horse or Sylvester Stallone taking on countries as Rambo, right? My boys were asking about the, the Rambo movies. I said, they're pretty much all the same. It's just different countries that one man decides to take on. Right, so we have this idealism of, I don't need anyone else. I can do this on my own. And so if we read the New Testament through that lens, that Paul just did this missionary effort on his own, we are missing that Paul leaned in, into strategic partnerships all throughout his missionary journeys. So as we're going to survey Acts 13 to, to 21 and look around his three missionary journeys that spanned about 20 to 30 years, covering over 50 cities, connecting with more than 120 different people, right? The effectiveness of, of his ministry, the effectiveness of the maturing of the Apostle Paul as a disciple and as a leader is clearly seen in how the Holy Spirit led Paul to use strategic partnerships. And I want to survey Paul's missionary journeys to learn how he leveraged those partnerships in the greatest missionary work uh, in the first century. I also think there are things that we can learn today about partnerships that Paul put into practice uh, all the way in the first century. So that's what we're gonna do this morning. As we think of discipleship, as we think of moving on mission, um, we're gonna be talking about strategic partnerships. Now, we're gonna talk about them really uh, on, I want you to think on two levels. One is partnerships from like ministry to ministry, church to church, organization to organization. That's one aspect of partnership. But also, partnership functions on a very low level, a very personal level, to where you should be asking yourselves the question, well, who am I? If partnerships are so essential to the movement of the gospel and to mission, then who, who am I partnered with? Who, who am I connected with? Um, and so what we're gonna see is Paul maintains four strategic partnerships, right? The first is a partnership uh, with synagogues as a strategic platform for the gospel. 
Second is a partnership with groups of people that are responsive to the gospel. Uh, Third is he has partnerships with churches that are aligned with his mission. And fourth is he has partnership with key leaders that share in his mission. So first, the synagogue is a strategic platform for the gospel. Uh, If you look in um, Acts chapter uh, 13, uh, Paul starts following this principle that he he came up with. He he wrote about it in Romans 16.1. He said, to the Jew first, then also to the Greek. So when Paul would arrive in a city, he would start with the synagogue. Now, I'm not saying he did that all the time, but he did it enough where he declared it uh, as his pattern, as the way that he would, uh, as the way that he would move. Um, so in Acts 13, he r- arrives in uh, Salamis. Where does he go? He goes to the synagogue of the Jews. Um, and then he goes to Perga and then comes to Antioch in Pisidia. Where does he go? He goes to the synagogue. In Iconium, in Acts 14, he goes to the synagogue. Acts 17, Right, he goes to Thessalonica. Where's he gonna go? Uh, He's gonna go to the synagogue, and it actually says there in 17, verse two, and Paul went in as was his custom. So Paul would go in 1710, he's in Berea, he goes to the synagogue. In 18, he's in Corinth, he goes to the synagogue. In 1819, he's in um, Ephesus, and again, he goes to the synagogue. Why does he go there? Because it's a strategic platform Right where he has the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. You see, the custom was to invite a visiting rabbi to be able to give a word. So a rabbi would come in, uh, and if there was a rabbi, a traveling rabbi that was in the area, you would give him an opportunity to share in the synagogue. So in Acts 13, 15, it says, after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message uh, to them, meaning Paul's companions, saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, please say it. So Paul stood up, right, and started to share the good news of Jesus. So in moving from synagogue to synagogue, he had a strategic platform to share with a group of God-fearers the truth of who Jesus was and who the Messiah was because there was a shared value system where they were looking for a Messiah. And Paul says, hey, I have information to share with you about the Messiah that you've been that you've been waiting for. And he would stay in those synagogues, he would maintain those partnerships for as long as there was an open door for dialogue. And only when he was expelled, when those doors were closed, would Paul move on. So sometimes he was there for weeks, sometimes months, sometimes years, um, having these conversations. As long as there was an open door for the gospel, Paul would maintain that partnership. Which leads me to the second aspect of partnership is that Paul would maintain partnerships with people that were responsive to his message, right? So, so, so the opposite side of that coin is he would cut partnerships with those who were not responsive to the message. So remember what I said about partnerships is they require a common goal. And so when the synagogue leaders or sometimes economic leaders realized that they were at cross purposes with the Apostle Paul, the partnership would be over. So for Paul, the spread of the gospel was everything. It was the extension of God's kingdom. And so if if that door was shut, then he was not going to use his time um, in knocking on a closed door. Uh, He would wipe the dust off his feet uh, and he would move on. 
And he believed that every ethnic group had the right to hear the gospel, so he would gladly preach to them. But if they adamantly refused the message and they persecuted the messenger, right, no purpose could be served by staying among them, so Paul would move on. He felt it would be better to move on to a more responsive group. And I want us to be realizing like that, that being a key uh, for partnership, again, personally or corporately, is, is this advancing the gospel? Is this creating platforms for communicating the good news of Jesus? So let me give you examples of how Paul had to end some partnerships. Uh, in Antioch, he was invited by the synagogue leaders to speak. This was in Pisidian Antioch, not the same one that was ascending church. Um, and they did, um, and so they had a warm response, and then they were invited back. They did such a good job. The first week, they were invited back to speak again, um, and what happened is, as he started to get very specific about Jesus, the Gentiles that were rallied were listening in. They were excited, but the Jews rejected it, and they sent them out, and the partnership was ended. It says in Acts 13, 48, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, drove them out of their district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So that was where they didn't like the message. So that was like religious persecution shut down the advancement of the gospel um, through Paul and Barnabas, not the advancement of the gospel entirety, uh, but through Paul and Barnabas' work. Uh, here's, a, here's a different example um, where it wasn't the religious community, but it was that the gospel was impacting uh, the economy. This happened two times. Once in Philippi, uh, there was a slave girl um, who was, had a spirit of, of divination. So she was, she was actually like, um, uh, she was like a fortune teller. Um, and so Paul and Barnabas encountered her and set her free from demonic influence. Um, and then what ended up happening then is now she's set free from demonic influence. Well, her employers didn't like that because they were making money off of um, her ability to uh, predict the future. Um, and so uh, while the gospel brought freedom, um, there was some economic uh, oppression because they were losing their income because of this slave girl was no longer doing what she had been doing. Uh, and so they uh, stirred people up to prosecute Paul Paul uh, then goes on to Ephesus, and a similar thing happens. Uh, in the city of Ephesus, they are worshiping Diana or Artemis, and so there's all these craftsmen that their trade is to make these idols and then to sell them. Well, when Paul comes in and talks about the true God, suddenly the, uh, the Artemis um, uh, economy starts to shrivel because uh, people aren't buying uh, the idols any longer. So this guy named Demetrius, who's a silversmith, uh, who has been making shrines to Artemis, he rallied all the other tradesmen together because the gospel was having an impact on their economy. Uh, and so then they went and they persecuted, they persecuted Paul. And so then what Paul says is, but when some became stubborn, this is Acts 19.9, when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, 
speaking evil of the way, that was the, the language they were using to describe Christianity, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him. So notice Paul leaves not because there's some tension. Paul leaves because they are stubborn and they continued in their unbelief. And not only are they unwilling to listen to the good news, they're now moving in opposition, right? So if he's gonna have partnerships where the gospel is going to be effective, it's a closed door. So Paul says, it's time for me. It's time for me to move on. I want you to hear that. It was a closed door for the gospel. What is driving the apostle Paul with these partnerships is what Pastor Chris gave us last week as a kingdom mindset, right? This is not about Paul's comfort. This is not about um, what Paul prefers. This is a mandate that Paul lives under is that the gospel is everything, right? The kingdom of God is everything. So I'm gonna give my energy to partnerships where the, the, the kingdom is advancing. And if it's not, then I shake off the, the dust from my feet and I move on. So there is a time to sever partnerships. And that time is when there's no path forward for the redemptive work of the gospel. I say that because too often I hear of severed partnerships that have zero to do with the advancement of the gospel and everything to do with personal comfort, personal preference. Amen. Friends, if we're gonna separate from one another, Jesus calls us to love one another. If we're gonna create division within the body of Christ, it better be over the most important things. The third aspect of strategic partnership is that Paul maintains strategic partnership with churches. There are three, three types of churches that he maintains strategic partnership with. The first one was his sending church, which was the church of Antioch, right? That was where Paul and Barnabas were set apart uh, in chapter 13 of Acts, right? The, the leadership team, Pastor Chris covered that last week. The leadership team set them apart and sent them off. And as they would return from each of their three missionary journeys, they would return back to their sending church to say, hey guys, this is what, this is what God's doing among us. Right, so they, were, they would maintain their partnership right, with their sending church, which was the church of Antioch. Paul was convinced that the missionary must have a strong base at home, for at the end of each journey, he would return there. That's Acts 14 and Acts 18. We see Paul returning back to Antioch to report what's going on. The second strategic partnership with churches that Paul maintains is with the church in Jerusalem. And the church in Jerusalem represented spiritual authority um, because that's where the church was initially founded, and that's where the apostles started their work. So Paul maintains relationship with the mother church in Jerusalem, which isn't his sending church in Antioch, but the mother church in Jerusalem that represented some spiritual authority. In Acts chapter 9, um, as Paul was, uh, God was starting to work in Paul's life and, and things had been turned around, he tried to connect in fellowship with that body of people, uh, that group of leaders, which they were unwilling. And that's when Barnabas really took him under his wing. But then you see in Acts chapter 15, Paul coming and he's bringing gifts because there was a famine in the area. He's bringing gifts to the church as well as he's submitting to the church 
um, the, the ministry that he had been doing among the Gentiles. And so that became part of the second council of Jerusalem. Um, so Paul repeatedly would, you would see him interacting with that church as it represented a picture of spiritual authority. Uh, there's a, a, a Roland Allen had these comments that I, that I think are worth hearing. Paul did not set out on his missionary journey as a solitary prophet, the teacher of a solitary individualistic religion. He was sent forth as a messenger of a church to bring, mess, uh, bring men and women into fellowship with that body. And again, I think far too often when we think ministry, we think functioning independently and in isolation. It's just God and me. And that is not, from the very beginning, God's design. And you see that in the Apostle Paul, who's, who's regularly connecting both with his sending church as well as with the spiritual authority in the church of Jerusalem. The last partnership that he has with churches is related to um, the churches that he planted so on his missionary journeys, he would revisit the church plants, and in each city, he would establish a group of elders that would be set aside to, to lead the church, and he would stay in contact with those elders. There's even one story where he called the, the elders of the church of Ephesus to meet him at like a little retreat um, as he was anticipating that he's coming near the end of his, uh, at the end of his ministry, right? So Paul's investing in these churches. Most of our New Testament is letters that Paul wrote to the churches that he planted. That's why all of those letters like Romans and Corinthians and Thessalonians, those are all cities where Paul had planted churches and he wanted to stay in vital contact with those churches as part of his strategic his strategic partnership. So just like he was willing to put himself under spiritual authority, he also functioned in those churches as one in spiritual authority over them. All right, uh, so my third uh, strategic partnership is prioritizing partnership by doing ministry, uh, by doing ministry together. Wait, I'm sorry, no, this is my fourth one. Um, that you're doing ministry, you're doing ministry together. Um, so there's this passage where Paul has a disagreement with the first partner that he had in ministry, which was Barnabas, right? And it says in verse 39, there rose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and they departed, having been commended by the brothers um, to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria uh, and Cilicia, strengthening the churches that they had planted. So Barnabas, right, they had this value of developing people. Barnabas carried this value to where John Mark on the first missionary journey had abandoned them. Uh, we're not sure why, but he had taken off early in, the, early in the ministry. So the second missionary journey's coming up, and Barnabas is like, hey, you know, God's been doing some work in John Mark's life. I want to bring this guy with us because, you know, it can be a redemptive move for him. And Paul's like, no way. He abandoned us once. I'm not taking him again, right? And so the disagreement, it says it was a sharp disagreement to the point where Paul and Barnabas separated and Barnabas took with him John Mark. Paul took with him Silas and set off on missionary journey number two uh, in Acts chapter 15. So Paul has this value, right, this value of partnerships, right, that are, we're committed and we're moving in the same direction. 
Barnabas had this value of partnerships that were more developmental. So he was willing to take uh, John Mark with him uh, in order to uh, continue the work of God in John Mark's life. But we see repeatedly where Paul would partner up with people, with kingdom partners, people that were moving in the same direction with him. So we've already talked about Barnabas, Silas. You have John Mark, which he returns back to Paul and is an effective uh, minister with Paul later in life. Paul connects with Timothy as a young pastor. He connects with Lydia. He connects with Aquila and Priscilla. He connects with Philip, the evangelist, who has three daughters with the gift of prophecy. He connects with a guy, Agabus. Repeatedly, Paul would connect with strategic partners in ministry. Paul would find people that he could run with, and they would run together. And I think so often as we move, we, we take a step of faith and we do it in isolation as opposed to doing it with a partner where we could leverage their gifts that match our weakness. So those are Paul's strategic missionary, uh, those are Paul's strategic partnerships. Synagogues as a strategic platform for the gospel, groups of people that are responsive to the gospel, churches that were aligned with his mission, and leaders that shared in that mission. And so what Paul would do over and over again, he would identify a need and an opportunity. He would, um, he would, he would find people that he could work together with towards a common goal, and then they would lean into each other's strengths to accomplish, to accomplish those goals. So as I think of the future of Living Faith Alliance Church, I think partnerships. Amen. I think we have got to, both as an organization and as individuals, we have to think partnerships. And so I got a couple of people that I want to bring up here um, to tell you about some of the partnerships uh, that in the next couple years you're going to see maturing and developing uh, that we're going to be intentional about. So Sarah, Dot, and George, if you could come on up. Um, I don't see Sarah. Might need a little help. She's probably taking care of some things. If you could uh, get a hold of her, Brian, that'd be great. So come on up here, guys. All right, Dot. So uh, we'll start here with Dot. Uh, Dot is um, head of our global missions team. And so she's going to tell you a little bit about the strategic partnerships that we have globally and that we're going to be working on globally. Well, I'm so excited because uh, as I was listening to Greg, I mean, everything you were saying just said mission, mission, mission. Yeah. And uh, we are a missional church. You know, Acts 1-8 tells us to do that. And so does the Great Commission. And we are a church that follows that. And over the years, you know, in the last several years, many of you are familiar with the creative access countries in North Central Asia, where we have concentrated quite a bit. But fortunately, uh, the Lord has opened up doors, one of those strategic partnership things. And the doors that he's opened up, uh, we have been involved in Russia, which we will continue to maintain. And uh, also, you just saw someone recently from Tea House so that's going to be a, a blessing for us to continue there. We've had two teams go to Jordan, so there's a, there's a strategic partnership there. But one of the blessings is now we have others that are going to be opening up, potentially. We know that uh, we have our own 
uh, family in Mexico, so you have something to look forward there, and potentially in the nation of Kosovo. You know, we were able to worship this morning, and it was wonderful. We could sing praises, and we could hear the word, but there are millions out there who cannot do that. Persecution is rising, and the door is open, but it may close for some people. So it's extremely important that we take these strategic partnerships and have them grow. One of the things that I had written down was if we determine that we are going to work with Kosovo, that would be a nation that we speak about evangelism. If we continue with Jordan, we're talking about medical assistance and helping refugees. Tea House, we're reaching unreached people. This is a creative access nation. Russia displaced. You can be very uh, pleased to know that the support that you give to the Russian field touches so many displaced people, and we will be continuing with that. I urge you to watch for our Mission Moments uh, pamphlet that we put out monthly, and that keeps you abreast of what's happening all over the world. And then, of course, we have Mexico with Lily and Carlos, and this is an area where we would be doing families and church plant. So we have a strategic plan, and it's a plan that involves you. And uh, by the grace of God, we will, we will go forward. Thanks, Dot. Um, what I want you to hear with those partnerships, we have our missions portfolio. So when you give to missions, it goes to our missions portfolio, which within that, as you break it down, it connects with um, some of the partners that we already have. So part of our missions giving goes to Lillian Carlos. Part of that missions giving goes to uh, Tea House. Part of that missions giving goes to the special projects um, in, in Russia working with immigrant, uh, immigrant families there. So uh, what I want you to know is our partnerships, though, are not limited to just our financial support. So as Dot was trying to highlight, we want to create partnerships where there is mutual benefit. And not only just from the sense of what does the field get from us, but what do we get from them? And, the, and so these partnerships are designed where we can send people to engage those international workers because there's things that need to be formed in us as we go. And so that's the nature of our strategic partnerships. They're strategic in the sense of there's something that we can offer to them, and there's also something that they can offer to us that we can put into practice uh, right here in South Jersey. So thank you, Dot. Appreciate it. Hey, Sarah, I know that you're busy on Sunday morning, so thanks for taking the time to be with us. So Sarah's going to tell us about like an, uh, 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 an expression of partnership that's happening this month. Thanks so much, Greg. So... One, I love what Greg said about how as we are serving other people, there's also a component of us getting served as well and us, um, you know, having benefit in that. And one of the things we're doing in children's ministry this month, um, it has to do with Christmas coming up, uh, is we are going to be collecting food items for Impact Harvest. Um, as you go through, you know, we have Thanksgiving coming up, people are planning, what side am I bringing, maybe you're making everything. Um, as you go through and go to those, the store to pick up some items, if you pick up a couple of extra, and then as your children go into their classrooms, if they can bring it, 
um, bring an item into their classrooms. The, the teachers will collect them there. And the idea is that as we're, we're training, they're, they're young, but they can learn to live on mission too. They can learn to think outside of themselves too. And as we go through, as we are collecting those items, I brought some here. We have cornflakes and pasta and um, uh, all the different, different items that are there. As we go through, they are learning to think outside of themselves. Um, and so I have these, oh, the slides aren't working, right? I forgot. <laughs> your slide's there, right? You have Sarah's slide? If not, it, you'll get these as you pick up the children. It'll, it'll have the same thing. And these are the dates that we'll be collecting. So each of those dates, if you have a child that's in, in um, children's ministry, in the, the nursery will be collecting them as well, but nursery, two threes, the four fives, and the treasure seekers. Um, so the children in all, all of those age groups will be collecting um, things like cornflakes and things like, like pasta and those types of things. And as we go through, some of the discussion will be that we are giving of ourselves at a time when children are expecting all these, you know, their list of, of what they're going to get. We're trying to encourage them to think of others and think of the needs of others at this time as well. So if you could, could um, join us in that effort, that would be really helpful. Um, and then we have a special thing that we're planning on doing on um, December 22nd as part of the birthday party for Jesus uh, that will kind of incorporate some of those things. So again, those dates are up there. There'll also be cards that you get as you pick up your child today. Um, and help us work together to kind of build up the children's mindset at a Christmas that, that they're thinking of others and kind of combining that with the greatest gift we ever got, you know, of Jesus coming to earth for us. So, so that's what I have for you. Thanks, Sarah. So George Davis, our new executive pastor, uh, part of his responsibility is uh, helping us in the area of local missions. Um, and so he's going to talk to us a little bit about uh, some of the vision uh, related to local missions. One of the things that I like about LFA is that we've historically had a strong desire to be involved in sharing the gospel and doing it in practical ways. Some of the things that I've heard about are construction ministry uh, that has prayed with families, provided repairs, uh, stair lifts, um, ramps, prayer, uh, we have uh, Rich and others who have been involved in food ministry. We have uh, Liam, who is building a network of, of ministries that don't share very well together uh, for homeless. Dara has been doing stuff with homeless individuals. We have um, Angelo that serves over at the county college. Uh, we have others and things that I don't even know about that are going on out of our community. And we are excited about the idea that God wants to enlarge that. He wants to expand that. Uh, he wants to teach us new ways of uh, reaching out and, and uh, addressing some of these partnerships. Um, some of us volunteer as mentors. Um, we are involved in discipling people. We, we do community service uh, in our jobs or, or just out of our heart. 2 Corinthians 5.11, this is the Passion Translation, says this. Paul wrote this. He said, since... We are those who stand in holy awe of the Lord. We make it, I love that phrase, we make it our passion mm. to persuade others, others to turn to him. So we are looking for partnerships that are doing those kinds of things, that it's their passion. They make it their passion 
to, to uh, share the gospel, to see lives transformed. You know, the Father, our Heavenly Father, has a model, and that is strength flows from those who have it to those who are weak. He always flows his strength to us. And we want to um, be a part of that. We want to be a part of him, him giving his strength to this region, South Jersey, and to the individuals who live here. We want to find out how to do that with him, not just for him, but with him. So we can bring people to freedom from abuse and darkness, from drugs, from guilt, and from their sin, from brokenness that comes from living like that financially and other things. So um, one of the things we want to do, here's, here's a few things that I'm going to be asking and working toward uh, with Greg, with the other leaders, to do. We want to embrace local mission within our own building. We had a young lady not too long ago who was sitting just about right here. She was listening to the message, had never opened the Bible, didn't even know where to find Genesis. We have people like this who come and visit us all the time. And we want to learn how to do a better job of embracing them, having the discussions with them that will bring them to freedom. We want to be a group of people that look out for visitors and guests. Second thing, we want to have an atmosphere of thirst for the adventure of working with Christ, with the Holy Spirit, with what Father's doing in our region. He's drawing people to himself. And we want to make ourselves at his disposal. Making ourselves at his disposal. Making it our passion. We want to offer an increasing smorgasbord of small projects and opportunities. These bubble up in our congregation all the time. I just received in the last two weeks ideas that people had that they want to do something that has to do with partnering or helping other ministries. We want to find the way to build an incubator for those kinds of things and resource them here. Um, we want to um, be able to help people hear from God, get stirred, trained, encouraged, network with other people. We want to identify five growing partnerships in the next year where the strengths of who we are, I like the way Greg put it, the strengths of who we are are given to the areas where they're weak and the strengths that they have are brought to places where, believe it or not, we are still weak. And so what can you do? First of all, uh, I want you to email me, gdavis.lfachurch.org. Let me know if you're willing, number one, to pray. One of the things I like about the story of Paul being called and Barnabas out of the uh, church in Antioch is that while they were praying, the Holy Spirit said, set apart these people. We have got to base our local and national and international missions in prayer. We have got to increase prayer. I was walking on the beach with some guys recently and I, and I heard Father very clearly stir my heart to pray for the lost. And what shocked me is that he had to remind me to do that. I want to encourage you to pray for the lost people in South Jersey that we are wanting to impact. And then secondly, email me if something you hear in Greg's message about vision or what Dot said or what I've said stirs something in your heart and you would like to support and serve, 
as we seek to build on the foundation of what we've done before. Contact any of our staff, any of the pastors, with your local mission stories, local opportunities. Talk to us about it so we can have this on our front burner also. And then secondly, uh, finally, or a few more things, we wanna encourage you to share your life in the small ways. I had a conversation in the lobby with someone this morning who had befriended someone who passed away after four months of knowing them. Hmm. And they said, I don't know, I kept working towards sharing the gospel with that person. You see, God is working and we wanna partner with him. And we want to share the gospel as effectively as we can with others in this area that will partner with us to do that. Keep opening your table to other people. And by the way, um, how many of you have uh, either done this or plan to do this? You've opened your table to share with somebody you haven't had dinner with. Put your hand up, would you please? We're just sort of looking out. Don't minimize the power of sharing a table with someone. Uh, and finally, again, email me at gdavis uh, to let me know if you have potential partners that may be something that you would like myself, others here to go out and begin to build some relationship to see if they are going to be gospel partners with us in the years to come. Thank you, George. You can take that with you. Thank you guys so much. So I hope you hear, I hope you hear in that, um, you know, where, where our heart is. And one of the big things that's, that's big for me is I know many of you have taken tons of initiative in terms of moving missionally within our community. Uh, and I think for far too long, you've done that in isolation. And so when George says things like, um, we want to be uh, incubators for, the, for this missional work of God, that you doing that in isolation isn't necessarily just your fault. Right? That could be because there hasn't been the support available to you, and I think that's why I'm so excited to, to have George here, because I think, as you can see, he's going to do an outstanding job of, of supporting you in that process, as well as creating not just missional energy into our community, but how can we be strategic in partnering uh, with God's work in Cumberland County, and then we can continue to follow up in those relationships. So... My goal, my desire for us this morning was to celebrate the, the, the treasure of partnerships. Um, however, I have to be honest with you. Um, even though scripture is very clear, even though as we track historically how necessary partnerships are, uh, there's obstacles to partnership. There's, there's reasons why uh, partnerships break down in unnecessary ways. And so as I prayed about this, I asked God, God, what's our, what's our obstacle to partnership? And I think it's this. I think our biggest obstacle to partnership is our unwillingness to give up control. Yes. I think our desire to control 
serve some larger purpose in our heart. And so I have two possible reasons why we keep clinging to control, which either hinder us from being in partner, being partnered with others, or breaks up our partnerships. The first one is we don't want to give over control because we don't want to give the glory to anyone but ourselves. I know that one stings a little bit, but our priority is building our kingdom, not God's. And again, and again, I find it amazing that what is biblically true is played out um, in all different arenas of life. Listen to what uh, Michael Eisner, who's the former CEO of Disney, had to say about this. He said, perhaps the greatest challenge to increasing the presence of partnerships is the long-held fascination with single heroes. In and out of business for generations, the titans of industry, icons of progress, have been individual figures. That's the story the media wants to tell, the story the public wants to hear, and quite frankly, the fantasy that ambitious young executives conceive of themselves. Right, where we are looking for our own glory. Acts chapter 19 describes the seven sons of Sceva, which, I mean, the last name Sceva, you know you're in trouble. Sorry if there's any Skivas in the room. But the seven sons of Sceva, what they did was they weren't Jesus followers, but they liked the acclaim that the apostle Paul had as he was doing miracles and, and setting people free from demonic influence. So they started to just mimic Paul's words. Well, that didn't go very well for them, right? Because they were trying to just achieve glory and fame for themselves. And maybe you say, Greg, that's not, I struggle with control, but that's not why. Well, maybe number two is why you struggle with control. We often cling to control out of fear because we don't want to feel vulnerable. And when we move into partnerships with others, guess what? Not only do we bring our strength, but we bring our weakness, and we want to hide our weakness. Hiding your weakness is a killer to the advancement of the kingdom of God, right? That is a lack of humility, where if the only thing you're willing to put out there is your strength or your perfection, then the gospel has no need to be rooted in your heart. And again, Again, I, I, it's crazy to me, but this is seen in the business world as well. Let me give you one last quote from, a, from a, like a business guru, Patrick Lencioni. He said this, teamwork begins by building trust, and the only way to do that is to overcome our need, our need for invulnerability, right? We think we need to be invulnerable, and we can't walk into situations and allow ourselves to be humble, to be broken, so our partnerships personally fail. Our partnerships at the church level either fail or never get off the ground because we're unwilling to feel the vulnerability needed to function well in a partnership. And beneath that is an unquestioned belief in our own capacity, our own greatness. And so we're only willing to move in ways that seem to serve us well. I wanna remind you of 1 Corinthians 13 that says love is patient and kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not arrogant or rude. Please hear this. It does not insist on its own way. 
Love doesn't insist on its own way. And I think our failure to move in healthy partnerships, either personally or corporately, has to do with um, our bad definition of love, where we're trying to control things, we don't want to be vulnerable, and we're insisting on our own way instead of a love that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So we need to fight to restore our faith, not in the greatness of our own capacity, but in the greatness of God that is greater than our vulnerabilities. On a large scale with churches and kingdom movements down to the small scale of friendships and relationships, can we turn the corner and stop suffering in isolation Stop being committed to our own glory. Stop being committed to living as invulnerable people and be willing to lean into the strength of partnership. And the place of vulnerability will allow someone else to bring their strength to that partnership. I really believe that partnerships from the top down kingdom partnerships, ministry partnerships, down to friendships, down to marriages. They suffer because there's uh, unwilling parties on both sides that are, they're unwilling to set aside a personal agenda for the blessing of the other. Yeah. Pastor Chris called it last week having a kingdom mindset where our number one priority is not the kingdom of us, but the kingdom of God. And if we, can, if we can have delight in the kingdom of God above all things, I believe our partnerships, from friendships to marriages to church partnerships, will be blessed by us learning to love and love well. So would you please stand up with me? So as the worship team leads us in this last song, I'm not primarily going to ask you to consider um, taking a step in terms of partnerships or whether it's global or local missions partnerships. Dot and George and Sarah gave you some good steps that you can do later on. I think those are excellent. But what I want you to do is really look at your heart. Ask the Holy Spirit to, to sift through the idolatry of your heart and ask yourself and ask the Holy Spirit, what, what hinders me from functioning in healthy partnerships? What are the obstacles that I hang on to? Is it, is it a prioritization of my own glory? Is it that I'm unwilling to be vulnerable? What is it that hinders me from taking steps of loving well and partnering with others? So as the worship team leads us, that's what I'd ask you to do. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to reveal your heart to you.
Father, I pray that we would seek first your kingdom. 